Today we're going to continue our hymn series uh, with three of the church's greatest hymns, I think. The first one, the first hymn writer we're going to talk about is William R. Newell. And he's remembered fondly as a pastor, evangelist, Bible teacher, author, conference speaker, and writer of the beloved hymn at Calvary. He's remembered as a humble man who recognized that it was only by the grace of God that he was able to accomplish so many good things. But he didn't start that way. William was a very troubled and wayward teenager, we're told. And in desperation, his father wrote to the president of Moody Bible Institute and begged him to allow the enrollment of his son. And since the college was open to serious Bible students only, the president was very resistant. But finally, he agreed that Newell would be enrolled with the proviso that he would meet with the president every day and he'd take his studies seriously. Students, how would you like to meet with the uh, principal every day? So he was, he was, William was bitter about it at first, but what he viewed as a, a tribulation, as a punishment, changed in his mind as he realized that it was truly the mercy and love of God that he witnessed through his father and through the college president. And the place of his tribulation would become the place of his education and then the place of his salvation. A father's prayer and a, and a college president's commitment and the three steps forward, two steps back efforts of Newell eventually resulted in the young man not only graduating, but several years returning to Moody Bible Institute as a teacher. And in 1895, William put the testimony of his life, his life story into poetry format. And his friend and fellow Bible teacher at Moody, he was the director of mu music at Moody, uh, Dr. Daniel Towner, he read the words of this poem and he knew they would be so powerful when put to music. And they were. The result is the beautiful hymn at Calvary. Let's open with it this morning. Salvation's plan 
And our second hymn writer was James Edwin Orr, who was born on January 12th, 1912, in Belfast, Ireland. Amen. <laughs> of an American father and British mother, and his education includes earned doctorates from the universities in, in Europe, Asia, Africa, and America, including Doctor of Philosophy from Oxford University and the Doctor of Education from UCLA in 1971. Dr. Orr served as a chaplain in the U.S. Air Force in the Pacific from 1943 to 1946, and after World War II, he and his wife became California residents. So Hilton, there is precedence from, you know, being born in Ireland, moving to California, very successful precedent. He became a well-known Baptist minister, historian, lecturer, author, and revivalist. He wrote numerous books and composed a number of hymns, and he was one of the original board members of Campus Crusade for Christ. Throughout his lifetime, Dr. Orr traveled to more than 150 countries, spreading the good news of the gospel. And one time during the great New Zealand revivals of 1936, Dr. Orr overheard some Aborigine girls singing a beautiful song, a Maori song of farewell. And the melody of that song stayed with him. He couldn't, he couldn't shake it, even when he came back home. And then following a stirring Easter morning service, he put words to it using Psalm 139 as his inspiration and the back of an envelope as his script paper. The hymn, Search Me, O God, was first published as Cleanse Me in one of Dr. Orr's own books, All You Need. And for the past 80 years, it's been sung and it's been considered one of the most beautiful and challenging of all hymns. So let's sing it this morning.
And our last hymn reminds us that you don't have to have great theological credentials to be used in a mighty way for God. He doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. Frederick Lehman was a California businessman who, who lost everything during the Great Depression. And he was forced to spend his working hours in manual labor, working in a Pasadena packing house, packing oranges and lemons into wooden crates. Not an ideal environment for writing songs, but this was the environment the Lord chose to use. Mr. Lehman was a Christian who rejoiced in his salvation. He was so moved by a Sunday evening sermon on the love of God that he could hardly sleep. The next morning, the thrill of the previous evening had not left him. And as he drove to the packing house, the makings of a song began to come together in his head with God's love as the theme. And throughout the day, as he packed oranges and lemons, the words continued to flow. And he jotted down words on various pieces of broken crate as he went along. He could hardly wait to get home and commit these words to paper. And upon arriving home, he hurried to his old upright piano and began arranging the words and composing a melody to fit them. He soon had finished two stanzas and the melody to go along with them, but now what was he to do? In those days, a song had to have at least three stanzas to be considered complete and publishable, which is a far cry from the songs of our day that have to have about three words and repeat <laughs> ten times. He tried and tried to come up with a third stanza, and he couldn't. The words just wouldn't fall into place. And it was then that he remembered a poem someone had given him some time before. And hunting around, he found the poem printed on a card, which he had used as a bookmark. And the words read as, as this, Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? Well, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. And as Mr. Lehman read the words, his heart was thrilled by the picture of God's love there portrayed. And he then noticed the writing on the bottom of the card. It said this, these words were found written on a cell wall in a prison asylum some 200 years ago. It's not known why the prisoner was incarcerated. Neither is it known if the words were original or if he had heard them somewhere and had decided to put them in a place where he could be reminded of the greatness of God's love. Whatever the circumstances, he wrote them on the wall of his prison cell. In due time, he died and the men who had the job of repainting his cell were impressed with the words. And before their paintbrushes had obliterated them, one of the men jotted them down, and thus they were preserved. We don't know his name. We don't know his story, but I can imagine the inspiration and comfort he received knowing that nothing could separate him from God's indescribable, matchless love. David reminds us in Psalm 139, Verse 7, he says, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. What comfort he took knowing that there's nothing we can do. There's no depth too low where God's love cannot reach us. Lehman went to the piano, and he began to voice the words with the melody he had just written, and they were a perfect fit. It was a miracle. The song was published and remains today with these words as the last stanza. Though the author of that last verse is unknown, in my opinion, it's the greatest verse of song ever penned by man. William Newell, who we heard about first, was he went off to university and couldn't escape the love of God. James Edwin Orr traveled to every corner of the globe and experienced God's love everywhere he went. Frederick Lehman basked in God's love in an orange orchard. 
And our unknown author discovered that even in prison, God's love still reached him. We can never outrun, outstray, outfall God's love. He is ever reaching, ever loving, and ever moving all around us just to let us know how much he loves us. What love is this? Paul reminds us in Romans 8, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we don't know what your story is today. You may, you may be thinking you've just strayed too far for God to be able to reach. Nonsense. There's nowhere you have been. There's nowhere you are today. There's nowhere you can go that his love can't reach. And let's close our time of song this morning with this hymn, The Love of God. Saints and angels, one more time. The saints and angels. 
Well, they invited the Irishman back. (laughs) (laughs) You know, these songs, uh, these songs get me before I even start to speak at all. They're just, uh, they're just so touching and so sincere and so blessed. I feel blessed just uh, having listened to them and I feel so blessed just to be asked to come back again and and speak with you another time, to look around a lovely audience like this with, you know, all the different backgrounds and all the different circumstances of life, and to be reminded of Psalm 16. It's God's estimate of his children. And in Psalm 16, God says that they're the excellent of the earth, in whom is all my delight. So I want to encourage you this morning. You're the excellent of the earth in whom is all God's delight. So a great privilege to be here. We, we, have, discovered some <clears throat> we have discovered some lovely things here since we came here those years ago. We've discovered cold stone. <laughs> <laughs> Started off with like it, moved to love it. <laughs> Sweet cream with Heath Bar. Maybe, maybe a touch of peanut butter. But you know, something more we discovered, something more we discovered was, was lovely Christians that are receptive to God's Word. And the abiding the abiding memory that I have of being here the last time is to see tears in Christians' eyes whose heart had been touched by just the simple exposition of God's Word. The reception to God's Word has lived with me. And I'll tell you this, I told them about it when I got home. I told them there are Christians in America that are more receptive to God's Word than you are here in the north of Ireland. And so we're thankful for that. And our prayer is that we may all be receptive again today and that God might bless us even as he did the last time that we were here. So I want to read uh, from the Bible to you, please. All the verses today are all in the Gospel by John. So if you have a Bible, we'll read together, first of all, in the Gospel by John and in chapter 3. John's Gospel, chapter 3, and just commencing at verse number 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now we're going to look over to another uh, verse in chapter 6 of the same gospel, John chapter 6, and reading please this time at verse number uh, uh, 17. Verse 16, And when even was now come, his disciples went down unto the sea and entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. So when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship, and they were afraid. And he saith unto them, It is I, be not afraid. Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at land, whither they went. 
Now, the next verse is in chapter 13. Chapter 13, and reading at verse number 27. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest do quickly, and no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto them. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, that Jesus had said unto him, Buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. Now, another reading, please, in chapter 20 of the same gospel, John's Gospel, chapter 20, and reading at number, verse number 19. <clears throat> then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, when the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so, say, so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Now lastly, in chapter 21, <clears throat> chapter 21 and verse 1, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this way showed he himself. There were together, Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Now, we do trust that the Lord will add a blessing to these lovely readings from this lovely gospel of John. I don't know if you caught the connection this morning between all the verses that we have read together from this gospel. I don't know if you noticed that all these, all these things happened at night in the evening time, when it was yet dark. So our little meditation and consideration this morning is about scenes that happened in the night time in the Gospel by John. Um, there, are many, uh, there are many reasons, going back to the first one that we read in John chapter 3 concerning Nicodemus, there are many theories as to why Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. We sing at home, a ruler once came to Jesus by night to ask him the way of salvation and light. The master made answer in words clear and plain. You must be born again. Now, why did he come at night? Some people have said, well, uh, he was maybe too busy during the day. He was a busy man and his day was occupied, his day was full, and he had no time to come during the day, and that's why he came at night. And, you know, maybe that is true, maybe that's a reason, but it's not my reason why he came at night. Some people say he came at night because, well, maybe he didn't want to be seen. You know, he didn't want to have the disapproval and ridicule of others that he came in full broad daylight. They came to the Savior during at night so that he wouldn't be seen. And yeah, that may be true, but that's not my reason. I want to suggest to you this morning that the reason why that he came by night, and I want you to agree with me because I want you to be right. I think, the reason, I think the reason why he came at night, and it came to me whenever Randy was kind of announcing that last hymn of Mr. Lehman's. Did you notice that after a day of packing oranges and lemons and whatnot, 
You would think that after a day like that, you would be so tired and weary that you would be able to sleep. Such would be the fatigue and tiredness of the body that you would sleep soundly. But did you notice that Randy told us that he began to be so occupied with things that were spiritual and things that were divine in the darkness and in the quietness of the nighttime. It was then that God began to move with him and work with him and touch his heart and impress him with things that were divine and things that were spiritual. And has that not been true in so many of our experiences? There are times that during the silences of the night hours, when all is dark and when all is quiet and when all is still, and we awake from sleep, and God speaks to us in the evening hours of the night, and he reminds us of those things that are spiritual and of those things that are important and of those things that are divine. And they seem more real to us then, even than they do sometimes during the day. We sing a hymn at home. I'm sure you sing it here. Happy day. Happy day. When Jesus washed my sins away. It would be interesting I'm not going to do it, but it would be interesting to have a show of hands of all those this morning who were saved, who became Christians, who were born again, not so much during the day, but at night. Because I think we could rewrite that wee hymn and say, Happy night, happy night, when Jesus washed my dark heart white. So God speaks to us in the evening time, and he speaks to us about things that are important and about things that really matter. And that's why I think that he came to Jesus by night. He wanted to be right with God. He wanted to be sure and certain about the future. And these things gripped his soul at night. And he comes to the Savior by night. And whether, whether dear friends, you have been to the Savior by day or by night, I was impressed again with, with the way our dear brother Dean opened the previous meeting this morning. He said, are we all happy? And we said, we were. Why? Because our sins have all been forgiven. Oh, the joy of forgiveness to know that our dark past has all been dealt with at the cross and put away, and God will remember our sins no more forever. Why should we not be happy? Forgiveness. A friend of mine at home was preaching on forgiveness and the joy of forgiveness and the peace and gladness that, that salvation and forgiveness brings. And he made, he made a quite unusual comment in the middle of his sermon. He said, you know, we're living in days when so few seem to want to be forgiven. And here's a big man sitting right down at the back of the hall. The first time in his life as an alcoholic under the control of alcohol, the very first time that he had ever heard of the gospel and of the claims of Christ and of the price that was prayed, paid on Calvary for the whole world that we were reminded of this morning. And to the preacher's surprise, that man stood up. And he said, Mr. Preacher, I want to be forgiven. I want to know the joy that God's salvation brings. It might have put any preacher off, but he said you can be forgiven because that's why the Lord Jesus died and shed his blood, his precious blood on Calvary's cross. And you'll forgive, you'll forgive an Irishman this morning, I know you will, for just being pointed for a moment and asking us all this morning, have we all been forgiven? Have we been to Jesus by night? Do we know the joy that God's salvation brings?
The Bible says there is forgiveness with God that he must be feared. What am I going to call this night? I'm going to call it a happy night. A happy night. The happy night in Nicodemus' life when he came to Jesus by night. It's my prayer. It's these dear fellow Christians' prayer that everyone here will have a happy night. That's the happiest night you could have. You know, we had some happy nights. Oh, we had some happy nights before we were saved, and, but they didn't last. They were like the froth. They soon passed, and we longed for the next one. But nothing can describe the joy that God's salvation brings. A happy night. I hope we've all had a happy night here in San Ramon. When we come to chapter 6, and they're out on the sea, and the sea is boisterous, and the Savior's not there. You know what I'm going to call this? I'm just going to call this a stormy night. A stormy night. And I'll tell you the reason why that I decided that we might speak along this subject this morning of these nights in John's Gospel. The reason why that I chose this particular message to speak was because I was here on Wednesday evening when our dear brother was opening up to us these lovely verses in Philippians chapter 3. And before he did so, he asked for requests for prayer. And as I listened to those requests for prayer from every corner of the hall, someone's wife, someone's mother had cancer, someone had no job, someone had health problems, some had financial problems, some had family problems. I thought of the storms of life that come upon us all. Some of these young folks that are here this morning might know very little about the storms of life, but I tell you, the the rest of us that have grown to some degree of maturity, we all know about the storms of life and, and stormy nights. And sometimes I wonder, sometimes I wonder when I look around at the unsaved, how they get through life without a Savior. How do they meet the storms of life without one to lean upon and one to guide? I'm glad that in the storms of life we have one that draws alongside and gets into our ship and and calms the storm. He said, It is I, be not afraid. I would love to have a word this morning for someone that has had a stormy night, that feels in their heart the storms of life that almost overflow. And they wonder, are we going to go down? Are we going to sink? Is it worth going on at all? Or is there one to draw alongside and lift us and help us amidst the storms of life? Dear fellow Christian, There is one that drew alongside. And he said it as I. Be not afraid. Oh, I trust that you will be encouraged this morning. There's one that cares. And there's one that understands. David, Asaph, rather, Asaph it was in Psalm 73 in the Bible. One day... Asaph, as he wrote that psalm, he looked around. And he said, as I looked around at the ungodly, he said, I was envious at the foolish. Because, he said, they're prosperous. He said, they were not in trouble like other men. He said, they're not plagued like other men. It It seemed to Asaph that the ungodly had less troubles than the Christians. And sometimes that seems to be so. The trials and troubles that come into Christians' 
lives and hearts and homes. And sometimes when they come to us, all we can do is put our arms around them and pray with them and just leave them with the Lord. So be encouraged, dear one, this morning with trials and troubles that abound. There's one that says it as I, be not afraid. A happy night, a stormy night. You know, when you come to chapter 13 and the sad story of Judas Iscariot, Bible says he went immediately out and it was night. I want to put a wee heading on that and I just want to call that a sad night. A sad night. You know, the Lord had been so good to, to Judas. Did you ever notice that Judas was one of the twelve in John chapter 13? Where the Lord of life and glory who came down from where angels sang his praise and adored him. And he came down to that upper room and he took into his own tender hands those defiled feet of those disciples. Have you ever noticed that Judas was one of those twelve? What must have been in Judas's heart as the Lord tenderly washed his disciples' feet? And you know, something that we forget, we often talk about him washing the feet, but it didn't end there. Have you ever noticed that not only did he wash them, but he dried them with a towel? You see, he washed them to make them clean, but he dried them to make them comfortable. Have you ever walked about with wet feet? Ever had water between the toes? But the Savior's work is so complete. He washed them, and he made them clean, and he dried them to make them comfortable. And in spite of all that, and in spite of his goodness, and in spite of his kindness, and in spite of his tenderness, Judas went out and betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. A sad night. You know, we have had some sad nights, haven't we? I tell you, we have had some sad nights in Ireland. 35 years of war and trouble. And you have had some sad nights. I remember at home watching those two big planes going into those towers. And all those thousands of people, thousands of people, not only dropping down to the ground, but dropping into eternity. I tell you, that was a sad night. But listen, the saddest night of all is when a sinner says, it's not for me. It's not for me. I'd prefer the world I'd prefer its pleasures. I'd prefer its joys that are but for the season. And rejecting the Savior who bled and died on Calvary's cross. Oh, don't have any sad nights in San Ramon. The Savior is waiting. His arms are open wide. He says, come unto me, and I will give you rest. A sad night. In John chapter 20, you remember in the evening time. In the evening time, they're gathered together in the open room, in the, in the upper room. And the door is closed because of fear of the Jews. So here they are gathered together in fear. And Jesus did three things. First of all, he stood. Jesus came and stood. The second thing he did was he spake. 
He said unto them, Peace be still. And the third thing he did was he showed. He showed unto them his hands and his side. Why did he stand? He stood to show them that he had really risen. Why did he show? He showed to show them that he had really, really risen. That he had really died. These were the wounds of Calvary that proved that he had really died. And why did he speak? He spoke that it might be an encouragement to their sad and weary and faithless hearts. You know, he might have said to them, he might have scolded them, and he might have told them they were poor Christians because of their lack of faith. Instead of that, he says unto them, Peace, be still. I want to call this a change night. A change night. They come in in sorrow, and they went out with joy. They came in faithless, and they went out with faith. They went out with, with, with faith. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if this was a changed day or a changed night for someone in our gathering here this morning? There's a wee story that touched my heart. <laughs> Whenever this dear brother read this story this morning, there was something worried me about it. He said, I don't know if it, was, if it was true or not. You know, I think all the stories Christians, the preachers tell should be true. <laughs> but this is true. I don't know if you know, but during World War II, a large number of American service personnel had their base in Northern Ireland. And in fact, in Carrickfergus, along the shores of Belfast Loch in County Antrim. I'll be happy to show it to you if ever you like to visit. There's a little museum there to the American Rangers who were stationed there during World War II. And many of them came back from the battlefront for respite, and some of them came there before they went to the battlefront. One evening in the city of Belfast, a soldier from Texas, he was a Texan, he was walking through the streets of Belfast. And you know, Belfast in those days and during World War II was full of little rows of houses that we call two up and two down. I don't know if you've ever, probably never heard of that expression, two up and two down. It just means two rooms downstairs, two rooms upstairs. That's all the house, that's all the space they had. And this little boy was sitting on the step on the street of this little two up, two down house as the soldier walked past. And as the soldier walked past, the little boy was singing. You know the way we boys sing to themselves at times? Especially if no one's listening. And here's what he was singing. He was singing, There'll be no sorrow there. There'll be no sorrow there. And the soldier stopped in his tracks. He says to him, What was that you were singing? The wee boy said, I was just singing, there'll be no sorrow there. There'll be no sorrow there. In heaven above, where all is love, there'll be no sorrow there. It gripped the big man. It touched him at his very spirit. He said, I've never heard a song like that before. Boy, where did you hear that song? Where will there be no sorrow there? The wee boy said, in heaven above where all is love, there'll be no sorrow there. He said, where did you hear it, boy? He said, I heard it in a little gospel hall down the way where I go to Sunday school. And that big Texan soldier on his way to the front in World War II. He made his way on Sunday evening to the little gospel hall, Ebenezer Gospel Hall on the Old Park Road in Belfast. And in the simplicity of that gathering on a, Saturday, on a Sunday evening, a happy night, 
He bowed his heart and bowed his head and bowed his knee and accepted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. A happy night. There'll be no sorrow there. Change night. Oh, that we could see change in this our day. Oh, that we could see our nation changed. That we could see revival in the things that really matter. And they can because the Savior hasn't changed. John 21. They went out to fish. (laughs) And that night they caught nothing. Reminds me a wee bit about myself. I've never caught a fish in my life. (laughs) It wasn't in my mind to tell you this, but it just comes to me now. You know, when my daddy met my, when my mother met my father, he was fishing. And she went up and spoke to him. And you know what she said? She she told me afterwards, she says, that day was the best fish he ever caught in his life. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to call it a disappointing night. That night that caught nothing. I know there's Christians here that are disappointed. Disappointed with your life. With the feebleness. I'm disappointed. I'm not preaching. I'm disappointed with my life at times. I'm disappointed with my mistakes. I think of Calvary. Think of the cross and the precious bloody shed. I'm so disappointed with my shabby life at times. But listen, let us lift up our hearts this morning. Though it was a disappointing night, it says that when the morning was come, Jesus stood on the shore. And I just want to tell you, dear Christian friends, this morning, the morning is coming when he's going to stand on the eternal shore. And in a moment of rapture, he's going to call from the world his own. Would it not encourage us to put our very best into these little lives of ours so that we might have something to give him when the Savior comes? Remember these nights, and may the Lord bless you and bless his word to all our hearts. Thank you. You are disappointed at life. If it's been a sad life, if it's been a disappointing experience, as our brother said, I don't know what you've been through. Nicodemus. When he left the meeting with the Lord, he left a happy capital. Amen. And Jesus can turn your sadness into joy. Jesus can change your life. Before you leave this place, You can change that. And Jesus is standing at the door of your heart. Saying, I'm here to give you joy, true happiness, and take away all your disappointments, all your past life, and give you a new life. Amen. And in Jesus Christ, there is victory. You will have victory, and you will go your way there's someone here this morning would like me to pray for him or her just give me a sign by lifting up your hand just a sign say yes I I want Jesus to change my life to change my sadness my night into morning is there someone 
I beg you, don't leave this place. Don't leave this place. A sad person. Walking with Jesus is the greatest experience you can ever take him. Anyone? Amen.